Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on May 10th, 2021 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at the final week of the legislative session. We learn about the latest research on Southerners' attitudes around Confederate monuments from political science professors Drs. Scott Huffman and Gibbs Knotts. We learn about what is being done to make our growing state more sustainable and learn about vaccine hesitancy issues in the evangelical Christian community. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life in these uncertain times. Leave us a one, two, three-minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. Maybe, again, like we asked you about last week, talk to us about people in your life that are hesitant about the vaccine. Questions they have or concerns that you're trying to address, we want to know. It's all very interesting, and like you said, we're going to hear from Scott Morgan in a moment about one large constituency that is hesitant about the vaccine. So let us know your stories, 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is ongoing, widespread, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 9,596 total deaths, and currently there are 584,932 cases being reported in all 46 counties as of May 10th at 4 p.m. Now, I know we're moving to total cases reported instead of just confirmed, But for the week ending May 8th, DHEC reported that there were 4,009 confirmed cases and 27 deaths. This is down from 4,702 cases and 56 deaths the week before. So remember, those deaths are sometimes reported retroactively for previous weeks. But I just want to give you some perspective instead of just telling you that large number of cases being reported and give you a little idea about what it looks like week to week. Our current percent positive rate is 4%. Currently, 341 people are hospitalized with COVID-19 in our state. 90 patients are in intensive care, and 52 are on ventilators. Our seven-day moving average for daily doses administered is 13,033. This is a new low since the vaccine was open to all South Carolinians on March 31st. Each week, these numbers get lower and lower, despite the fact that only 35% of the state is fully vaccinated. Yes, our new case rates remain flat and other indicators are dropping as well, but health officials continue to stress that everyone who is eligible for the shot needs to get it to help eradicate this virus. Again, those aged 35 and younger have the lowest vaccination rate in the state. Yet guess who is spreading the virus? It's a safe and effective shot, folks. Yes, a few temporary side effects, but also it prevents you from dying from COVID-19 and from spreading the virus. No big deal. No big deal. Just some modern life-saving medical science. Well, it's Sine Die Week. That's right. The last day of session, called Sine Die to our Latin friends, is this Thursday at 5 p.m. We've made it, folks. But the sprint is on to get the final votes of the 2021 session in before 5 p.m. on Thursday. The big focus is on those bills that have already passed one of the chambers, because if it hasn't, there is no time to send it through the committee process before Thursday evening. Tick-tock, Mr. Wick. And even those bills, for example, that have made it through the House, the Senate committee process, and are on the Senate calendar can still have objections on them, such as the bipartisan hate crimes bill that nine Republican senators have put on hold, or the House Republican bill that makes changes to the State Election Commission, which two Democratic senators have objected to. 
Now, it's a wild week, so we'll be watching all the action for you. You don't really ever know what's going to happen these weeks. It's palpable excitement. Now, a sine die resolution has passed the House. This allows for lawmakers to return after Thursday. But they can only take up a handful of things, such as the budget we've been talking about, any vetoes the governor issues, any bills that are in conference committee. And that's, you know, a conference committee is when several House and Senate members hash out differences on a bill and then present the final version for a vote, and a few other items. The resolution will allow lawmakers to come back for three weeks in June, including June 30th, the day before the new fiscal year starts in the state and for which the $10.5 billion budget takes effect. And of course, we'll be back for redistricting this fall when lawmakers redraw electoral lines for the U.S. House districts and the state Senate and House districts. So it's going to be a fun fall. Stick around. And you know we'll have a full recap for you this Saturday about what happened this week. And you might even hear some familiar voices you haven't heard in a while. So stay tuned. We got you covered. Speaking of familiar voices, professors Dr. Scott Huffman of Winthrop University and Dr. Gibbs Knotts, the Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at the College of Charleston, joined me on This Week in South Carolina last week to discuss a recent paper they co-authored about Confederate monuments and memorials. The paper titled Heritage Versus Hate, Assessing Opinions in the Debate Over Confederate Monuments and Memorials, appeared in Social Science Quarterly and answered the question about what these controversial monuments stand for. Here's Professor Huffman. You know, the, the heritage versus hate, you know, it has been sort of the, the, the popular description of, you know, anything having to do with the Confederacy. So, you know, whether it's the, the Confederate battle flag, whether it's these statues, um, you know, and it's a little bit of a, a, a sort of pop culture phrase. We actually try and get more accurate measures. But what we found is in the grand debate over uh, Confederate monuments, that the thing that matters more than Southern identity is, uh, you know, racial enmity uh, or, you know, kind of racial resentment is how we phrase it in the paper. So whether or not people identify in their core as a Southerner makes no difference about what they want to do with these monuments. However, the greater the level of racial resentment, the more likely they are to want to leave these monuments alone completely as they are. We gave them quite a few options, sort of leave them alone, put them in a museum, leave them where they are, but put a, a marker to give historical context or remove them completely. And again, it was racial resentment, not Southern identity, that drove the belief uh, of folks who wanted to completely leave them alone just as they are. Gibbs, to kind of follow up on more on this data, when we look at the values, the ideologies, and, and then also race, how do you how did you see those numbers come out? Was, were there any surprises there for you when we saw that? Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I could listen to, to Scott Huffman talk about uh, the science of polling all day long. I mean, he's, he's so good. Uh, you know, kind of the takeaway, to me, the biggest sort of initial top line takeaway is, you know, asking Southerner people living in the South what to do with these monuments. 43% want to leave them completely alone. You know, so you see the TV where they're getting knocked down and there's protests. 43%, so uh, uh, plurality want to leave them alone. Another 25%, uh, and that, that's 62 thirds, so another 25% when you add the, the leave them alone, just want to leave them there and add a, add a plaque, add some contextualization. And so, you know, despite kind of 
what you see, you know, with from the loudest voices, you know, two thirds of folks in our poll at least said either leave them or put put some context. Twenty five percent said, hey, they're ready for a museum. Only six percent wanted to see them taken completely down. And I think, Scott, we can correct. I think we did this in 2017. This is an ever changing environment. And so, you know, if we did it again in 2021, you know, this is something where public opinion has been a little bit fluid over the last few years. But I think that's an important takeaway. And then when it comes to kind of who's more likely to want to see these monuments stay in their place, Mm -hmm. we mentioned racial resentment already. Folks who are ideologically conservative, older folks, and of course, white voters, uh, all were statistically statistically more likely to want to leave the monuments in place. So those are probably some of our top line findings. That's absolutely right, uh, that looking at it in 2017 versus looking at it in 2021 could, could make a big difference. Some of our previous research uh, analyzed the, the con- attitudes in South Carolina about the, the Confederate flag atop the, uh, the State House dome before the uh, Mother Emanuel murders and after the Mother Emanuel murders. So things can really change. So what we found is, you know, up at least through 2017, these are the things that drove attitudes about the Confederate monuments. We're actually looking at the same thing, hopefully in an upcoming Winthrop poll, uh, just at South Carolina. And that includes, you know, different measures of racial resentment. You know, is it is it really just this fear of being under or is it sort of thinking that uh, African-Americans in in America aren't working hard enough? What types of things really pick up on the racial attitudes? And going back to what Gibbs said about Southern identity, um, I I honestly didn't expect uh, it to be as flat as it was. I knew Southern identity wouldn't be the big driver because often is the case, African-Americans are more likely to identify as Southerners. But uh, people feeling like they are Southern now in the 21st century is not a driver of these attitudes. And I guarantee you uh, strong Southern identity in the 1940s would have probably looked a little different. Those two always have great insight and research. And just a heads up, Dr. Huffman will have the findings of a new Winthrop poll, which he runs, coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. We'll have that covered for you when it does come out. And you can always catch This Week in South Carolina on SCETV, Friday nights at 7.30 p.m. and on our new time slots on Sundays at 1.30 p.m. And of course, youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. That's the internet. Our state's population continues to grow, and maybe even more rapidly now because of the pandemic, which is motivating people and companies to look to less urban and less congested areas. This trend will have an impact on our environment and natural resources, and this concern has led to the creation of Sustain SC. Mike Switzer starts his interview with Ethel Bunch, president and CEO of Sustain SC, by asking her about what her organization seeks to accomplish and the future of sustainability in our state. Ethel, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Now give us a little more detail on the history and overview of your new organization. Sure. Sustain SC came from an initiative that I worked on, gosh, five or six years ago in partnership with the Low Country Land Trust. 
the Boeing mitigation project had just happened. They had announced their expansion and they needed a mitigation offset to some wetlands they were going to impact. And what they did was they got everyone around the table in the very beginning. So state agencies, conservation groups, forestry groups, and identified a project in the East Cooper River corridor that was under intense industrial pressure. And essentially what happened was they invested $12 million in the area and they got their permit in six months and one day, which is somewhat unheard of. The port followed in the dredging project with a similar $5 million revolving fund for their mitigation, again, bringing all the stakeholders to the table in the very beginning. And I saw this as both the regional model and then a statewide model, which we have launched through Sustain SC. Tell us now what is happening as the organization begins to move forward across the state. So we have pulled in all of our state agencies from Ag, Commerce, DOT, DNR, DHEC to our conservation NGOs, as well as our forestry and ag representatives and big industries, Walmart, Boeing, Michelin, Dominion, Duke. We really have formed a strong collaboration, having these conversations across the different sectors of how can we balance both conservation and commerce and growth in the state of South Carolina. What we do know is that South Carolina has 21 million acres, and that's a finite number. That's not going to change. It took us about 290 plus years to hit 5 million in population, and we are estimated to more than double that population in the next 60 years. We're led by forestry and ag as our top economic drivers, tourism being a close third. And then when BMW came, we had a huge boom in advance manufacturing coming to South Carolina. So we really believe that South Carolina is the future of commerce and conservation. And what we are working towards is helping these companies that are here, these international companies or these homegrown companies that are now global companies with their sustainability goals, net zero by 2030, water positive by 2050, um, investments in renewable energies, investments in the circular economy and recycling. And so what we want to do is for them to be able to talk about how they're investing in South Carolina towards these goals. And then they can go back to Sweden and Germany and be at the corporate headquarter table and part of those conversations on a global level. Well, Ethel, we have just about a minute left. What are the action steps that are in place now that are helping you to accomplish your goals? We have a corporate membership network helping them with their sustainability goals and how they can engage in those in South Carolina. We are launching our Sustainability Leadership Initiative, which is a fellowship program in partnership with Furman University. We'll have 24 fellows in our inaugural class, as well as our ultimate goal, which is to give out the Sustain SC seal, where we are working one-on-one with some companies to help leverage both state and federal dollars in some conservation projects. Meeting sustainability goals while juggling commerce and conservation, some very important stuff that companies need to be considering and addressing. And you can find episodes of the South Carolina Business Review on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org.
Now, we know vaccine hesitancy is a huge issue right now that is holding the state and country back from reaching greater numbers of immunity to COVID-19, as well as getting life back to normal without masks. Mmm, masks. So again, the more people who get the life-saving, safe vaccine that prevents you from dying from COVID-19 and prevents others from getting it, we can get back to normal. We know concerns remain, and Scott Morgan with South Carolina Public Radio looked into one demographic that remains skeptical of the vaccine, evangelical Christians. Here's Scott's piece. Evangelical Christians who don't want the COVID vaccine have a lot of the same concerns as other skeptics. They don't like that it was developed so quickly, which it actually wasn't. They don't want to be given a sample of living virus, which they actually wouldn't be. But then there's this. For white evangelicals, it may be because of the issue around using um, cell lines that were derived from aborted fetuses. Dr. Jane Kelly, assistant epidemiologist for South Carolina. That may be one stumbling block, and that's, that's an answerable stumbling block. It's answerable, but it's complicated. The nice thing about the messenger RNA vaccines is that they are not made from fetal tissue. Dr. Mark Chetta is a Christian MD who teaches at Bob Jones University. The only thing that people question is that because of Operation Warp Speed and the necessity to get it out as soon as we possible, we used an, exe- an existing cell line to test it. So you took the messenger RNA vaccine and put it in some cells. Those cells came from an aborted fetus from decades ago. If that still sounds confusing, it breaks down like this. No fetal tissue or stem cells were used to make the mRNA vaccines, which Dr. Chetta and other leading Christian medical professionals say makes them morally clean. But once those vaccines were developed, doctors did need to test their efficacy by using fetal tissue descended from decades-old cell lines. The intervening decades and the urgency to save lives now lead evangelical doctors to tell Christians they don't need to be morally conflicted about getting a vaccine. And that includes National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins, who spoke about the issue on the National Association of Evangelicals podcast in January. Pro-life Christians can be in a position of acceptable ethics and morality by taking advantage of these vaccines if, in fact, that is going to potentially save lives. There is not a consideration there that Christians are somehow being complicit in some evil action. But getting through to hesitant Christians is still a sizable issue. Pew Research shows that most evangelicals, especially medical professionals, are on board with vaccination, but those who are resistant are especially resistant. And it's not just about the fetal tissue misinformation. I teach maternal infant, and so one of the issues that have been raised is that there is a a fear that the vaccine may affect fertility in later years. Dr. Robin Vetters teaches at Bob Jones University's Division of Nursing. She says her young female students are particularly worried about not being able to have children. I don't think we have a concrete answer for that yet. Dr. Vetters acknowledges that while it's premature to say anything definitive about the vaccine's effects on fertility, it's also way too early to bog down in fear. Dr. Chetta says the risks of COVID itself are much more tangible and that some countries are actively vaccinating pregnant women, including his daughter. Israel actually is on the forefront of all of this, and there is an increased mortality rate for mothers and babies if they get COVID uh, during pregnancy. Israel has already started vaccinating pregnant women. And my daughter, who lives in Jerusalem, got the vaccine, and they actually tested her baby to see if it had antibodies. I don't know the result yet, 
but uh, it's actually being promoted in, in some countries around the world. One other layer of hesitancy among evangelicals, say the members of the university's health and medical faculty, is a general mistrust of all things governmental and medical. A counterintuitive snag to breaking through, however, is that church might not be so effective a channel to enlighten hesitant Christians. State health officials have reported growing success among the once highly resistant African-American community in South Carolina by delivering messages through trusted church leaders at the community level. But, says Dr. Jessica Minor, Dean of Health Professions at Bob Jones, pastors might be a complicated route to follow here. If you had a pastor and they've never talked about an issue like that in the past, they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable bringing it up. Or the people in the congregation would say, you know, well, why are you suddenly talking about vaccines when you've never talked about that in the past? Dr. Chetta says an important message to keep driving home to Christians is to understand that humans' ability to make such effective and cutting-edge vaccines is a gift from God. Isn't it exciting to know that if another virus comes along, that we don't have to go into pandemonium pandemic mode, that we have the technology now to address these issues. To me, as a doctor, I'm just amazed at what God is allowing us to do. Thanks for that, Scott. And why am I, a vaccinated South Carolinian, still wearing a mask, you ask? Well, the goal is to reduce transmission as much as possible, which the vaccine helps accomplish. Remember widespread, ongoing, and not contained? Yeah, I don't say that for fun, folks. It's because we still have a transmission problem in our state. And a way to limit the spread is by wearing a mask, especially if you're around people of mixed vaccine status. This is why medical officials want as many people vaccinated as possible. Also, variants exist out there, including what the World Health Organization has newly reclassified as a highly contagious triple mutant COVID variant spreading in India, which has also reached the United States. The WHO is following 10 variants around the world right now. Now, there are concerns about variants due to their infectiousness, resistance to current vaccines and treatments, and thus becoming more deadly. However, studies have shown that the Pfizer vaccine is still effective against the UK and South African variant, and a Moderna booster shot helped increase neutralizing antibodies for the Brazilian and South African variant. So still a lot of research going on there and a lot of reasons why we need to keep wearing masks and get vaccinated, according to health officials. Welcome to our wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. So tell us what's new. Maybe share your vaccine story with us at 803-563-7169. AT, has anyone shared their story with us or any? No one nothing? cares uh, to share their story oh. with us. It's pretty sad. Um, I'm not even sure anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. If, we can't confirm. We're just going to keep doing this. We're just going to keep doing this listen. until our, our bosses fire us. But anyway, <sighs> well, Gavin, nothing. Yeah, well, that's okay because, you we know. We have news. We do have news. Yes. Uh, we make our own news here. We don't need to wait for people to tell us their news. Exactly right. Actually, but that's we just the whole make thing. this whole thing up anyway. <laughs> We are happy to announce that our South Carolina ETV Endowment summer intern, Josh Teckle, is here with us in studio on his first day on the job here at ETV. Josh, welcome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate it the opportunity to actually learn something from, from this place. Oh, Listen to yes. this guy. Love it. He's already winning. Love it. Uh, Josh is a broadcast journalism junior at USC, loves pods, edits the, uh, the pod WUSC News, and is also an assistant producer for Student Gamecock Television. We're very pleased to have you on the team for the next 10 weeks, Josh. Oh, yeah. These uh, 10 weeks are probably going to fly by. <laughs> I don't know. They might drag. <laughs> 
But I guess we're going to start a new segment, too, where Josh is going to kind of like weigh in on the news of the week that yes. we might not have caught. Gavin and I we are both, done the, yeah. uh, we, we are noted 30-somethings, and Josh is decidedly not. So um, what uh, we're going to try and do in at least some of these wind-downs is Josh is going to come, and he's going to present any any sort of news. It doesn't have to be just politics or anything mm-hmm. like that. He's going to come on and talk to us just about something he found interesting during the week that uh, he thinks probably slipped under our radar. Yeah, and then also a big announcement today, too, that oh. we, we had a meeting with him, informed the, him about the Fast and the Furious situation. He needs a little bit more of a Gavin than an AT when it comes oh. to Fast and the Furious fil- films. I have said that I will I will have him fired and ran out of this business <laughs> if he does not watch the Fast and Furious films over the course of his 10 weeks. There we are could, only eight episodes, See, we could do movies. a week-by-week week slow torture exactly. here. See, I overlooked this job duty requirement. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. That's, in the ten, <laughs> that's in the 10% other duties that they say here. Other duties as required. This is required. I thought it was recommended, not required. <laughs> but uh, he's only watched the first one and Tokyo, Tokyo Drift, which yeah. I mean, the, those are not even close to what these movies are now like. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've I've watched one in passing. I can't even. I think it was the last one Paul Walker was in before he passed. I think that's seven. Okay. Yes. And, Very and sad. The action on that for the ten minutes I watched it, it was not. It was in another league compared to Tokyo Dream. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jason Statham is there. Uh, the Rock is shooting machine guns he's pulled off of helicopters. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. So good. Oh. Anyway. Your popular, unpopular opinions just continue. Oh, call in with your hot take, listeners. <laughs> I want to hear them. <laughs> Destroy me. Well, and one thing we do want to reach out to our listeners for is that we are launching a new podcast this fall. The, lead, the lead Cinematic Universe Grows. To yes. include South of Spooky. That's what we're calling it, folks. We're going to be looking into the urban legends, the myths, the spookiness of our state history. Different locations across the state. We're going to be going all over. We're talking Lizard Man. We're talking Gray Man. We're talking Alice ghost Flag. stories down in Charleston. All that great stuff. We're going to be working on that from now through over the summer. And we yeah. want to hear your stories as yes. well. So if you have any, any tales of spooks... Ghouls, ghosts, specters, yes. uh, unexplained spooky places, m- unexplained myths, yes. anything like that. We really, really want to hear about that. So, Gavin, give him the number. Feed him the Eight number. O- <laughs> 803-563-7169. It's now a ghost ghost line. Yeah. And if you can't fit the whole story in there, you know, we'll call you back. We'll, we'll get some ideas. But we want to include as many uh, firsthand accounts as possible. We've already talked to a few other people. A lot of experts in this field in the state. Obviously, we have a lot of interesting history here, too, so we want to educate you about that. Um, but there's a lot here, and we said, you know what? I don't want someone coming from out of state, like stealing us. all of our good stuff. You or me. We're not out of staters. We're, we we're are. I pay taxes here. <laughs> we I do. live here. We pay taxes. And uh, and I've been here for 10 years now, I realize this. Yes. 10-year anniversary. Ooh. Four years in Florence, and then however many years here. That's <laughs> six. six. That's six. <laughs> Josh, have have you ever experienced a specter or ghoul or ghost? Por- no, not activity. personally. No? Honestly, no. Not except like things when I get in my own head and okay. just expect, you know, just assume it's a ghost or like my house so, is haunted. Explain, please. Uh, <laughs> I have really sensitive hearing, so okay, every good. time I'm in bed, this mm. is as a kid, obviously, I would hear like dishes rattling in the mm. kitchen or like maybe if there's if it's really windy outside the windscreens start to rattle mm-hmm. and just assume like it's a it's a 
ghoul or goblin trying to come yeah, in. Yeah, ghoul know? or goblins. I forgot about goblins. Gavin, we learned a few uh, last week. I don't like the, the, you were so close, Gavin, goblin. I don't like that you did no, it in the same sentence you like were that. pretty <laughs> obsessed with, with bridges. That's that's troll territory. Oh, yeah, riddle You're me gonna, three. Yeah, <laughs> these questions. Three. I was on a bridge. I was having dinner on a bridge. <laughs> that's just, that's that's one step away from eating it under a bridge. But yeah. <laughs> and this was when Goosebumps was really popular. Oh, oh yeah. Me, okay. like, all, the, all that stuff was really, Love really oh, yeah. realistic looking to me as a, mm-hmm. I guess, eight-year-old kid. There we go. I appreciate you got to check out our Instagram. We have a picture. It's it says "Say lead and die," and it's a it's a Goosebumps cover. It's really <laughs> really well our, done. Yeah, yeah, one of our greatest. And uh, again, congratulations for everyone surviving the Chinese rocket booster that did oh. not affect us. It crashed into the Indian Ocean. I was watching the skies, folks. All yep. day Saturday, I had a white claw in one hand, <laughs> eyes on the sun. You were ready to jet over to Turkmenistan <laughs> well, you, you, at a moment's notice. You keep notice. seeing things like in the sky. You're like, is that, are those contrails or is that like... Chemtrails, <laughs> And we don't bro. use that word on this show. Chemtrails, bro. Let's <laughs> so I was like, real. oh, it's not going to happen. So, And then also when I was hanging out with some friends, and we'll wrap this up quickly, some other 30-something-year-old friends who had never heard the song by Baz Luhrmann, the sunscreen song, yes. which was the 1999 commencement address song. It was so everybody it was big. It. We already asked Josh. Josh has not heard it. He's allowed to not have heard it because he's younger. <laughs> but people, you know, plus or minus two years of me, it's like they you should guys not have heard this one. Yeah, and uh, I, I suggest everyone go listen to it's the a great parody song. Chris Rock song. I cannot oh, yeah. name it here, but it is very good. There's a lot of good advice on there. And then we'll eventually give our lead commencement address as well sometime soon. Uh, we have yet to be invited to give a commencement speech. <laughs> so we will speech, give our own. <laughs> but uh, I think it's just around the corner, maybe next year, folks. <laughs> Possibly in California. Anyway, Josh, thank you for joining us. We're very excited. Do you have anything to say on the way out? Uh, Yeah, thanks for the giant office you guys yeah i have my own private conference room <laughs> yeah, <they're> yeah. <laughs> just wait till the other interns show up okay gavin you can rule them all <laughs> take it out one one room to rule them all uh, i had to get a lord of rings in there go ahead gavin take it out well thanks for listening folks and show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on itunes or voicemail again at 803-563-7169 you can stay up to date with the latest news on sceTV.org and south carolina public radio.org and don't forget to support your local newspapers For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Uh, Stop blasting people's eardrums, AT. I don't control those. It doesn't make any sense why it's not me. Stop hurting his ears. I don't know.